All right, all right. Welcome back to the 34th episode of the Drop Pass podcast. And today we have another guest episode inbound. We are finally going to have our first hockey representative on board while also being the first international talent on this show. But first though, I gotta pay my respects to brave Ukrainian people who are currently fighting for their country since it is catastrophic to see these kind of events unraveling in the modern society. It is a tragedy all around and I just can't imagine the horrors of being in that situation but only hope and pray that this situation will eventually end since it is a waste of human lives just plain and simple. Strength to Ukrainian people, to both soldiers and civilians who are fighting for their country, beliefs and lives. It is hard to continue from that topic, but as I said, we got exciting guests coming up in this episode and also as a friendly reminder for you all, we got some good news last week as well since now we are the champions. Huge congratulations for Leonat for their Olympic gold, which was first in our entire Olympic history. And I know that there were not any NHL players, but still, gold is a gold, however you want to look at it. The playing field was even for all members at the end of the day. I was thinking about covering the Olympic hockey games, as you might remember, but since other topics were on the cards as well, and I didn't really have time to watch all the teams in the tournament, I decided to leave it out and leave some thoughts on it if necessary. The tournament went by pretty fast, if I'm completely honest, and since the coverage was fairly non-existent for teams other than Finland, I didn't get to see, for example, the young guns in North American teams, apart from the highlights. Experienced, disciplined, and motivated Finnish team took the tournament by a quite large margin, to be completely honest. And even though it wasn't probably what many fans expected from the tournament, it doesn't take anything away from the players that achieved this huge milestone for themselves as well as for the entire country. Sovereign victory in the finals and strong showing in the tournament overall didn't leave much for chance to say the least. Also additional tire pump goes to Nicholas Freeman for his gold medal, but as I said, huge accomplishment in the Finnish sports history. But now that we've covered the most essential topics internationally, what do you say if we move to our interview and see what kind of a story I have in store for you this weekend? Yeah, I agree. So let's get to it. And as I last note, this episode was recorded before the invasion, so there is that one question at the end which might raise some eyebrows, but in the future, the trifecta will be edited so that we get a bit more neutral question to replace it so that we won't endorse any political situations. Had to mention that just to be clear, but other than that, we are ready to take on our next guest. So, without further ado, let's 
get going. I am very happy to introduce our second guest of the podcast. And this time we are going to have our first representative of the hockey community. Today's guest began his career in True North, but after a few years in BCHL, decided to take the college route and spent the first three years in one of the top programs in the nation in Boston University. Alongside fairly unknown names such as Charlie McAvoy, Jack Eichel, Jordan Greenway, Dante Fabro, Matt Grizzlick, Evan Rodriguez, and Clayton Keller, before his transfer to Minnesota State. After getting nominated to the NCAA All-Star team, two years of getting after it and taking home the Hockey East title, he went through the full jungle experience in both ECHL and the AHL, while getting his first taste of NHL action in Montreal Canadiens training camp. Since then, his journey has continued in Europe, where he has represented two Slovakian teams, Dukla Trenčín and Bratislava Capitals, and in November joined the ranks of Kalba in the Finnish Liga. This Canadian netminder has been somewhat underrated for most of his career, but has proved doubters wrong with his numbers wherever he has eventually ended up. Salt of the earth type of guy and not so typical goaltender overall. It's my pleasure to present to you the second guest of this podcast, good old Canadian boy out of Vancouver Island, Connor Lacou. How's it going, buddy? Hey, how you doing, Yanni? Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. How's the season go so far? So far, pretty well. Um, kind of a season of two parts for myself. Um, Started the year uh, in Bratislava, playing for the Bratislava Capitals in the Ice Hockey League. So uh, the, like the, I think it's called Intercontinental European Hockey League, quite mm-hmm. a mouthful. Um, so started my season there. We were doing pretty well. Unfortunately, I had a pretty uh, couple tragic tragic incidents, which um, ended up having me being transferred to Kalpa and uh, really enjoyed my time in Kopio so far. And we're, we're doing pretty well. We're kind of, uh, we're kind of turning it on right now with that playoff hunt. I think we're a couple spot, a couple wins away from a playoff spot and a couple more wins from securing like a buy in the first round. So I think we're doing great just kind of keep hacking away here and we'll see where the chips land yeah getting used to the another european league um people who don't know you could you give like a brief explanation from your early career in north america yeah for sure um so i'm as you said i'm a canadian i played my minor hockey Uh, in, in Canada, I played for a prep school called uh, Athelmary College of Notre Dame. Um, it's a pretty, pretty prestigious prep school. There's been a couple, a couple NHL players. I'd probably say one of the bigger names to come out of it in the last couple years is Morgan Riley, Slater Kukuk, um, Stefan Mateau, quite a few players, quite a few good players. Uh, so I played there. 
then after I graduated high school, I was playing junior hockey in the BCHL, played on a couple teams in the BCHL. Uh, my final year in juniors, I played for the Alberni Valley Bulldogs. Uh, we had kind of a pretty tough start to the season, but then we really turned it around the second half. Um, team was playing great. I was playing great. Got a couple scholarship opportunities and ended up settling on Boston University for the following year. It was an um, incredible decision. Really enjoyed my time at Boston University. My freshman year, we made it to the national championship. Unfortunately, lost that to Providence. Um, sophomore and junior year, we were in the regional tournaments. I think we won one or two games my, my second, my sophomore year and one or two games the junior year in that regional tournament. So not enough to make it to the Frozen Four, but uh, played some good teams there. And then during my, during my junior year, we had a fantastic goalie come in, Jake Ottinger. And uh, he got a lot of, he had a lot of the starts there. So it was, it was tough for me to get, to get many games. Um, fortunately, fortunately, I had done a lot of classes at Boston University, we had to be there for uh, at least one summer semester, but I would usually be there for both summer semesters because uh, Boston's a great city. You know, you get your schooling done, you have all your training there, uh, made a lot of great friends. So I was able to graduate a year early and transfer to Minnesota Mankato as what's called a graduate transfer. So I didn't have to uh, sit out a year of eligibility because that's often what that's often what happens in college um if you decide to transfer schools you have to sit out I, I think they've just made actually a new rule where they've amended this and you can transfer you have one transfer without sitting out but when i was playing you still had to sit out um then i played Minnesota, i played at minnesota mankato we had a great team uh, had a lot of personal success and we won, we won our league, but uh, kind of fell short in the end to Minnesota Duluth. I think we lost to them in double overtime or overtime, and they ended up winning the national championship that year. So that was uh, that's kind of my college and junior experience. All right. We might come back to that topic later on, so hold that thought for later. For sure. About BCHL, you mentioned that it was pretty prestigious school you went to or program. How highly ranked is it in Canada overall? Uh, the BCHL or yeah. uh, Notre BCHL. Dame High School? Uh, I think the BCHL is, is regarded as the number one junior league in Canada. I think uh, they generally do the best in terms of like national rankings and national competitions. They play in a, a tournament at the end of the year called the RBC Cup, which is all the junior teams in Canada. And usually the BCHL... Uh, as a very strong showing in that tournament. Um, but I think what really separates it from the other leagues is the amount of college commitments they get. I'm not sure exactly what the numbers are, but there's a high percentage of players that are committed to NCAA Division One, Division Three programs, CIS programs over the BCHL, a lot higher than any other of the respected leagues. All right. Because that's pretty uncommon league for us Finns so, and Europeans overall. So I had to ask that. Then moving on to Boston University. Overall, you already like covered the three years you spent there. But 
what would be the biggest things you gain from that three-year experience? There's a lot of things I gained from that experience. Um, I think just on an overall life life scale, it was uh, just an incredibly different, unique, fulfilling experience. I uh, got to live in a great city like Boston. Uh, at Boston University, you live like you live on campus, and campus is like right in the city. So got to kind of experience that uh, vibrant, passionate city, meet a lot of really cool people. Uh, I really enjoyed my time. Uh, I really enjoyed my program. Actually, I was in, it's called the Questrom School of Business. So doing business style courses really piqued my academic interest. Um, The social life is awesome. There's a, you know, you can do there, you can do any, on any night of the week, there's something going on in Boston. Uh, sometimes that might get you in a bit of trouble being a division one athlete because, you know, maybe you're getting into some extracurriculars, but that was, that was a lot of fun. Uh, the hockey was terrific. Just being able to play with such great players and have such incredible coaching staff and really, really top of the line um facilities uh amenities like every little the, the budget was huge you know you're always even even when you're going to providence which is what i think an hour hour and a half away you know we're going the night before staying in a nice hotel you know eating steaks and for every steak sweet potatoes for every meal you know just uh real real spoiled experience playing for a, a program like that in, you know, not only the academic, but the, I don't want to say sporting, like academic, physically, socially, uh, just everything was, you know, top notch. It was a really, really cool experience, especially from a, a kid from a small town in Canada. All right. Did you have time to catch any, for example, Bruins games or any other sports games during that time or was it full on hockey for that time frame? No, I was able to, uh, I was able to catch all the, uh, all the big, all the big four sports there. So I caught Bruins, um, Celtics, which is the basketball team, Red Sox, which is the baseball team and then Patriots, the football team. So I got all four there in my, three and a half years. It's uh, one of the great things about Boston is it's, you know, they call it the city of champions. It's super, uh, super passionate fan base. So when I was there, the, the Pats won a Super Bowl, the Red Sox won a World Series. I think the Bruins won a Stanley Cup too. So it was, uh, did the Bruins win a I'm not sure if maybe they did. Maybe I'm lying on that one, but just a lot of championships, a lot of parades and uh, really, really cool experience. Like you mentioned, you went all the way to the finals during the first year and you pretty much had stacked teams every year you were there. And also like the high expectations are almost early thing in Boston. So was there any specific reasons why you didn't win any championships? Because that's pretty much like expected almost every year for Boston University and college teams. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think the first year we had a bit of... Uh bit of an accident i'm not sure if you saw that uh that play you should go check it out if you have time uh type in boston university against providence game highlights and you'll uh you'll know what i'm talking about in that game but i can't give you anything to uh i can't give you one sole purpose of losing um with, with 
with college hockey, uh, you play, especially when you go to the, um, when you go to the, I shouldn't say the playoffs, but the, Pro, the tournament. Yeah. Uh, uh, before that, so kind of the okay. Sweet 16. Yeah. Uh, it's just one game elimination. So it's not a series. It's not necessarily the, it is the best team wins, but there's also a bit more luck with it just being a one and one and done game. You know what I mean? Anything can really happen in those games. Um, so I would just say, you know, it's a very opportunistic tournament. Like a, a lot of times you see the 16th seed beat the first seed. Uh, that's not uncommon at all. I want to say like my freshman year, RIT beats Minnesota Mankato. That was 16 and one. I think my junior and sophomore year, um, Air Force beat St. Cloud. That was one and 16. And then my senior year, I think AIC beat St. Cloud, which was one and 16. So it's just, you know, they probably couldn't do it in a seven game series or it would be, you know, a bit more unlikely, but just kind of with that one and done style, emotions run high, you get a, you get scored on an early goal and it's, it's possible to kind of shut a team out, right? You know, you get a hot goalie. So it's, uh, I can't give you one reason. I would just say the, um, the format of the tournament makes it very interesting for fans and, and viewers because of like the unpredictability and kind of the high stakes environment. Yeah. I was going to say that it's the beauty of it all to have that kind of format in the so-called playoffs. But overall, um, related to Boston experience, did you feel kind of extra pressure being like D1 player in Boston University program? I'm not sure if I felt any extra pressure. I thought to myself how cool of an experience it is to, to be here. I think sometimes you maybe, maybe take it for granted a bit, just the whole the whole experience, take it for granted and don't really realize how how special of uh, an experience it is, how special it is to play for such a storied university like BU. But I don't think I really experienced any extra pressure playing for that program. I think, you know, you always have pressure during uh, during a season. I mean, if you're if you're passionate about a, a hobby, a, a sport, a, a career, you're always going to place a bit of uh, like internal pressure on yourself or internal, you know, you want you want the best for yourself you want the best for your team so I, I don't think I ever experienced any extra pressure from kind of the the university or the team or the uh the, the setting but obviously kind of the pressure that I would put on myself as you know a division one player as someone who had aspirations to be a college hockey player someone had aspirations to be a pro hockey player so nothing nothing more than I would put on myself you know today yeah So more individual as a whole. Yeah, I think so. I think it never really, I don't want to say it never really occurred to me, but I think being able to kind of break it down, I think once you get into that uh, almost like spectator mindset or that fan mindset where you're thinking, oh, like if I screw up, like the fans are going to be mad or like I'm going to piss off my coaches. I think that's when you start getting in trouble instead of, you know, kind of having that athlete mindset of I'm in the game right now I want to I want to see the puck I want to stop the puck and just focusing on the uh the present moment did you become Bostonian during those years or did you stay as a humble Canadian yeah I definitely think I had some uh Bostonian influence on my life during that time uh definitely definitely living in a city that's so uh so passionate about it itself you uh definitely adopt some views and maybe some sayings and a slight bit of a an accent 
Um, it was really kind of the first time I watched uh, NFL. So I think I adopted the, uh, the Patriot kind of mentality, the Patriot bandwagon. Um, if you've ever heard anyone talk from Boston, you know, they have a unique accent. So sometimes speaking with a bit of an accent, whether it's uh, kind of cheek and, cheek and tongue and fun, or uh, maybe I was actually adopting it. I'm not sure. From Boston. From Boston. Yeah, exactly. Um, 17, 18, you already mentioned that you transferred to Minnesota Mankato. You already told us how that came about, but how different was it to move to another huge hockey market such as Minnesota? Yeah, it was, it was really cool. I was really blessed to be able to, uh, go from such a great program like BU into, uh, yeah, another amazing institution like Minnesota Mankato that um, that hockey team is top notch. It's no joke. They have a very, very good program. Uh, the coach, Mike Hastings, is, uh, is a hell of a coach, super competitive, super, super passionate. He's very, um, very intense, but someone who I loved playing for and someone who I think really cares about his players and really cares about the program and wants what's best for not just himself, but the entire organization, the entire, the entire team, each, each guy individually, as well as, you know, the team collectively. All right. And the last thing concerning the junior hockey, I know that you haven't played in the CHL Canadian hockey league, but for all the listeners, which are the biggest differences between the NCAA and the CHL? That's a good question. I would say I would say with the CHL, you have you have a lot of top end talent, very high end players that are going, you know, kind of in the, in the first rounds. And not that you don't have that in in college, but you have um, I think you might have a bit more of it in the CHL. But I think you also have a bit of a of a lower talent pool where there are guys that maybe sign these contracts and kind of give up their eligibility, but they still kind of get shuffled into the the mix of CHL. So I think it's very, um, the disparity between the best players in the CHL and the worst players, I think there's a very big gap as well as CHL being generally a uh, a younger demographic than guys in college. So CHL is up to, I think you can be 21, right? At yeah. some 20 or 21, you know, it's turning 21 where, you know, college, some of the oldest guys are maybe 24. Not uncommon to have maybe like a 25-year-old guy if you if you take a year off or medical redshirt. So I'd say the, the disparity between the best players and the worst players is uh, very large. And that's why I think you have some guys in major junior how they can put up like 120 130 points um i would say college is you know older demographic but more mature group of players i would say the uh the parity like it's it's a lot similar in terms of the player skill the players uh, maturity in not only like mental maturity but physical maturity guys are generally bigger um older stronger uh big thing with college and major junior big difference between the two is major junior you know you're playing like 70 games plus preseason playoffs college you're playing maybe 30 something and then there's tournament games but you're almost playing half the games maybe less than half the games than major junior so generally you're playing friday saturday and then you're like lifting three times a week practicing uh very 
very heavy emphasis on getting bigger, getting stronger, developing kind of physically working on those practice habits and then playing two games on the weekend where I would say the CHL is a bit more, it's obviously a development league, but a bit more performance driven in some, in some aspects. I'm not sure if that's, uh, if that's right to say, but it is technically like a, a professional organization. You know, the owners of those teams do want to make money. They do want their teams or organizations to do well. So, you know, those guys aren't as inclined to maybe, you, you can't, you can't exercise and lift and kind of get physically mature as much when you're playing four games a week, three games a week on the road. Um, so I would say those are, those are two pretty big aspects with, um, with CHL, like I said, maybe there's a bit more of an emphasis, at least from the, from the owners on performance on winning, you know, they have kind of more of a say where obviously the universities are very focused on winning, but they are, the university teams are focused on winning, but they're backed by kind of the university and like the donors as well. So, um, you know, they, they have, they have usually four, three or four year commitments to these players where they want to kind of develop them. And they're, you know, we're here, they're here for four years. You want to see this guy kind of grow from a scratch, maybe fourth line guy to, you know, a first line, second line power play guy. So I think there's a bit of different em- emphasis on each uh, each league. Then moving on to professional eyes, how big of a leap was it to move away from college hockey to ECHL and the AHL? Yeah, that's a it's a good question. Um, very different in a lot of aspects. Um, probably the first aspect is, I guess I'll start with the lifestyle, really. Um, college, obviously, you're a college kid. You're, you know, you're living in a dorm or living in an apartment. Um, you're still pretty, you're still pretty shielded in a, in a lot of regards. You know, like you're very routine driven. You know, get up, you go to class, lunch, practice, lift, homework all this stuff, you know, you're kind of regimented very. So in college, you know, usually you're doing like a, a team left, a team warm up, a team, a team kind of holding your hand, team meal through everything pretty much. Uh, once you get to the pro ranks, it's very, um, it's very individualistic. Um, you know, there's, you might have a workout written up on the board, but it's not really anyone, not really anyone's duty or really anyone's like, no one's really caring. Yeah. Yeah, no one's responsibility. That's a great word for you to warm up properly, for you to practice properly, for you to be on time for the game, for you to, like in the American League and the ECHL, you have per diem on the road. So like usually the team will, the team will give you like a pregame meal and like a postgame meal sometimes, but usually the if I think they have to give you a, the pregame meal, but if they don't give you a postgame meal or for meals throughout the trip, they give you per diem or money. So being in college, you know, and, and actually here in Liga, like we'll go on the road, we go on the road Monday, we were going to have a team meal Monday night, then we're going to have a team breakfast Monday morning, then a team, team pregame meal, team postgame meal, all that's all that's available. Where in pro, you might have like, hey, we have team meal this time, but here's like $150 for a couple of days. You're on your own, figure it out. So it's very, uh, very individualistic. You have to, you know, it's that cliche saying of being a pro. You definitely have to put yourself through um, your warm-ups, your cool-downs, all the little things that kind of make you successful. You need to take initiative on because um, ultimately no one really cares unless you're, you know, very like a very high draft pick or very, very regarded player in the organization. Um, 
you're on your own for a lot of things. Now, with the style of play, I'll start with the uh, the coast comparatively to college. The coast is uh, the coast is interesting, man, because you have you have a big difference between the coast of 2022 and the coast of 2012 and the coast of 2002. <laughs> um, you know, the coast 10 years ago, 20 years ago. There's a lot, it's it's not really regarded as a good league. There's more rough and tough, more fighters, more grinding, kind of like guys that are on their way out of hockey that are make that are playing in the coast. Now you've got five, six guys on, on each team that are NHL, uh, NHL EC, ELC, like entry-level contract guys, drafted guys, um, younger, younger pros that like just aren't ready for the AHL. Then you probably have another five plus guys that are on AHL contracts. Um, a lot of guys that are playing in the coast right now that are doing well are like either very, very good college hockey players or very good CHL players. Like there's there's no one like it's it's very common for like good NCAA college players, good CHL players to get cut from the coast and be playing in the SPHL now. Like it's a, it's a good league. Um, that being said, uh, there are a couple funny components of it. I think the, probably the funniest one that still kind of gets a bit of, uh, I think that just kind of maybe dilutes, dilutes a bit of the game or maybe takes away from it a bit is the, uh, in the coast, you only have three lines and an extra center. So you, with, with only three lines and with only 10 forwards, um, guys are playing more guys are trying to conserve energy and you play a lot more of, uh, north south hockey game like a lot of odd man rush odd man rush playing with three lines you're playing with like three fairly skilled lines i mean not all teams might have three skilled lines but a lot of the play is like north south you don't really have a lot of um like tactical tactical systematic um defenses and four checks and kind of structures where like you would normally have in a in a team that plays four lines just because you can kind of get guys refreshed you know everyone plays different roles coast is basically uh very entertaining hockey because like i said it's kind of odd man rush one way odd man rush the other way high scoring lots of shots it's it's crazy because the, the the travel schedule is is pretty nuts and the uh, the game schedule is pretty nuts. Like your North American schedule, it's not uncommon to play you know four games in five days. A lot of three and threes, a lot of three and threes in three games, three days, three separate cities. So that's that's pretty wild. That takes a huge toll on the body. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what I'd say about the coast. Um, the American League, very good league. Um, very high end players that are playing in that league. Um, just for like example, like it's usually usually guys that are staying that stay in the American League are, you know, kind of the I don't know exactly the percentages, but probably like the top five percent of college hockey, the top five percent of like CHL and like some younger European pros. Like it's very tough to get into that league and consistently play in that league um high level of skill guys are bigger guys are stronger guys are a lot more dedicated to making this their their career their job um guys are a lot more inclined to you know take care of their body do all the do all the necessary stuff but then do all the extra do a lot of extra stuff as well um that game the hl game is a lot 
crisper, you know, a lot more passes on the tape, a lot more systems. Every team has obviously, you know, set plays, set four checks, set ways to defend. You get in a lot more structure, um, a lot more tactical, technical objectives, how we want to handle breakouts, how we want to handle rushes, how we want to PK, how we want to PP, where the coast is a lot more kind of like <laughs> give, give and go attack. You know, what if we win 6-5, we win 6-5. Um, so I think the AHL is similar to kind of college in that sense of like roles, tactical and um, quality coaching. All right, that's pretty good wrap up for all the minor leagues. Then moving on, you went to Canadians training camp. What year was that and how was the experience? What year was that? Um, I think two or three years ago. Two years ago, I think. Yeah, it was uh it was a pretty cool experience. Um I was in I was in Montreal's organization playing with Laval the year before. So I'd kind of um, seen a bit of the interworkings of the organization. Um, Laval and Montreal are really close, about like 30, 40 minutes. So I'd kind of known a bit about the organization. Um, obviously, get out, going to the actual training camp was uh, a different experience than just playing Laval. It was uh, it was awesome. They're just super professional organization, such a well-funded uh a team, you know, it's the top of the top in terms of like, like amenities, any, anything you need there, you know what I mean? Rich organization, you know, you ask for something, you got it like that. It's not a, yeah, it's a great organization in that regard. Uh, it was really cool being, you know, on the ice with all the NHL players and kind of getting, uh, getting an opportunity there and just, um, yeah, being in such a passionate fan base, like, with Montreal too. It was a really cool experience. How big of a leap it would be to play in the NHL versus the AHL during that time? I'm not sure if I really got a, a really good understanding just because it's, you know, it's the training camp. There's a lot of like practices, flow drills. Yeah, there's scrimmages, but at the same time, it's still, still a lot of guys from the American league that are there as well. It's not, um, it's not just strictly NHL players. So I, I don't want to say it was uh, like, replicated very much so i think I, you know you understand you see some guys shots you see some the skill and the the speed at which plays are made and you kind of have an understanding but i think it would be a bit di- i think it would be a lot different to go into an actual uh game format yeah for sure after that you moved to europe so how big of a change was that and did you have any culture shocks in that Yeah, it was uh, obviously a pretty big, um, pretty big difference in terms of I was playing in Laval and playing in Maine, and then I'm in uh, I'm in Slovakia the next year. That was quite a bit different. Uh, I mean, obviously the biggest, probably the culture shock, is the lack of English in some in some places. You kind of uh, ask yourself, like, what the hell am I getting into? Uh, but I really, you know, I've enjoyed my time in Europe so far. I try and you know, see every opportunity is kind of as an experience in itself and kind of try and try my best to enjoy and try my best to kind of live it, live in the moment. Um, in terms of what was the first part of the question in terms of hockey? Yeah, like I, overall, how big of a change was that to change scenery totally from the North America? Yeah, it was a bit. Uh, it was a bit of a bit of a change. I think just sometimes different ice, like different skill sets of players, different kind of style of of game for sure. But sometimes I'm a bad judge of that, just being a goalie. Like I maybe don't really see the uh 
I don't really see kind of like the the integration of like uh, the integration you have as kind of like a single player operating in kind of like a team environment, whether like where you're getting passes, where you where the like the hockey IQ of your teammates are. So I, I think I think I'm not a, a great judge of that as a goalie. I kind of just try and stop the puck. Um, I, I think with playing in that Slovakian league to start, I think it's a fairly, uh, fairly open league. Like it kind of reminded me of the, the coast quite a bit, um, just in the sense that it's a pretty, pretty open league, like not a whole bunch of, uh, not a whole bunch of systems and um, maybe high end like tactics, but I still think it was a good league. It's a uh, yeah, good place to play. There's some good skilled players. Like it's a fun league to play in. Reminded me quite a bit of the coast just in terms, I think like player skill wise and kind of uh, style of play. All right. Like what eventually led you to Europe? I think the biggest thing was COVID. I was, comm- I was signed with uh, the Hartford Wolfpack uh, as AHL team, New York Rangers, their affiliate team. And the AHL season just kept getting pushed back. It got pushed back. Like it was supposed to start in August, then October, November, December. And it was just like, what is, what is going on? Like been kind of sitting around for five, five, six months, just at, <laughs> renting a place in Minnesota, just kind of like skating and training. And it was like, can only do that for so long, especially when you're not, when you're not getting paid. So I'd seen that all or most leagues in Europe were playing and I just kind of got in touch with a European agent and was at like, just kind of asking around like, Hey, are there any availabilities? Like I, I would like to start playing. Um, I'm not sure if I want to make a full, the full move to Europe, but yeah, I'd rather be playing hockey, doing something I love and making some money than just kind of sitting around like skating, training, coaching some goalies and like helping my buddy with his moving company so yeah that was kind of the uh the deciding factor really all right you you already kind of commented on the play style between the europe and the north america but how about fan cultures like obviously we haven't had that many fans in the stands during the last couple of years but now that the fans are slowly starting to get back to the rinks have you noticed like any major differences Yeah, so the, I mean, the, the first year when I was in Laval, uh, fans were nuts. They were awesome. Very passionate fan base, super loud. Uh, some of the games when we play the Marlies, like they get 10,000 fans. So that was a pretty crazy experience being there. Uh, when I was in Slovakia last year and this year, uh, last year there's no fans in the stands, so tough to say. But I, I had heard that team, Dukla Trenchin, they have great fans. I heard it's a super passionate community and They would kind of interact with me on social media and it was, uh, you know, you could tell it was a really passionate fan base, but we just never, never got any. Um, this year in Bratislava, didn't really have any, I didn't really have any fans. That was mixed with kind of just uh, kind of a lack of interest for the current team, as well as some of the COVID restrictions. Uh, coming to Kalpa here, fans seem great. Like last game, I, I think, I'm not sure if we're back at 100% capacity right now, but I know we've been slowly working to get up there, but past couple of games have been awesome. It looks, you know, packed, passionate fan base, loud. I love the, 
I love kind of that fan section where they're wearing the jerseys and kind of got the big, the big flag going. That's uh, that's really cool to hear. Really exciting. Um, yeah, it's a lot of fun playing with the, playing with a passionate fan base and just kind of being able to have that home ice momentum and home ice advantage. Yeah, we've been needing that. Concerning your position, did you notice any major differences in goaltending in bigger ice rink? Tough to say. Some some little some little changes i think um obviously well i would say it starts with the style of of play um north america being a smaller a smaller rank uh teams generally look to attack off the rush so there's a lot of times when they'll cross the blue line in the middle they'll kick it out to the flank like on either either side and then that guy will skate hard and try and get a shot kind of top the circles in that area to the low far pad trying to generate a rebound to pop out and ever, and his two other kind of four checkers will be uh drooling and looking just to jump on that rebound and kind of one time at home so that's a that's a big uh big kind of niche in North American hockey that's a lot of that's a lot of the style that's a lot of the uh tactical play kind of trying to get that shot off the rush shoot for a rebound off the rush once that happens you know they kind of like to enter the zone create a lot of confusion in front of the net get bodies in front make it tough on the goalie with screens and kind of traffic and a little bit of you know maybe interference sometimes um so i'd say that's kind of the that's a big part of north american hockey where i feel isn't really represented as much in european hockey um finland is uh finland seems to be a pretty defensive league and very like systematic as well when i was playing in slovakia and and that Austrian league it's quite a bit more open a lot of uh a lot of guys like beating defenders kind of one-on-one or a lot of like two-on-ones or a lot of kind of enter the zone cut back and then look for uh d-man kind of streaking in for like a three-on-four style of play um for myself I think with this with this style you know you definitely have to be conscious of of obviously the rink size and the amount of depth you take as a goalie being on Olympic ice, you can't take as much depth sometimes. So being further out of your crease, just because of the, you know, the width of the rink and the speed at which these lateral plays happen. Um, so I think that's a, that's a big factor, just kind of the depth and like the difference in kind of scoring chances and knowing kind of what to look for. Like most of the games that I've played here in Finland have been under 30 shots under 25 shots for maybe it's just this team i think we do a great job defending but it's uh it's a lot different like there's games in the coast where you know you have high 40s almost pushing 50 shots while speaking of goaltending which do you feel are the most essential attributes or traits for modern day goalie i would say a big thing Uh, it's cliche and it's pretty obvious is, is the size, the, the, the bigger, the goalie, I don't want to say the easier it is, but the better chance you give yourself of stopping the puck. Obviously there's a certain threshold where, you know, being any bigger than six, seven, six, eight is maybe not gonna help your performance. But I think you look at, you look at the top leagues and most goalies are six, four above six, three. Like it's just at, at those higher levels, just that extra inch two three inches really makes really makes a big difference so i'd say that's like a, a huge thing to look for obviously you see it right away um the second thing and that i think is becoming more and more important and more and more kind of um looked upon too is just how how goalies track pucks how goalies watch pucks um being able to make saves crisply and cleanly 
whether it's like catching the puck in the pocket of your glove opposed to just like having it hit your palm and like a rebound fallout or having having pucks hit your chest and kind of swallowing it up. I think just having really good tracking ability, being able to see the puck in all different types of situations off one timers, off through screens, through traffic, all that stuff is probably my second most important attribute. Um, the third thing I think that's super important that I think is or should be a staple on almost everyone's game is just the ability to be set so like kind of to uh seems almost um counterintuitive but or contrarian but like a lot of times like goaltending really isn't about saving the puck per se it's about getting in position to save the puck because if you're if you're set and you're square and you got your eyes on the puck you have a great chance of saving it when you get into trouble is when it's you're out of position whether that's like a quick lateral pass uh, it's through a screen or, you know, someone crosses the blue line quickly and you're, and you're stepping, you're in the midst of shuffling or key pushing. That's where you get into trouble. So just being set, making sure you're ready for the shot, make sure you're on your, uh, the balls, of your feet, just kind of balanced and ready to take the puck in. So size, vision and patience, top three. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Speaking of goaltenders and their mind, how do you manage the mental challenges of being a goalie? Do you got like any certain tools for that? I've been working with a sports psychologist for a uh, couple months now, and I've really enjoyed working with him. Um, just various, various kind of techniques that he's taught me. I think a big thing is um, visualization. He's been really big on visualization, just kind of visualizing the successes you want to have each game, visualizing where you see yourself going, visualizing areas that you want to improve on. Um, I think a big thing as well for uh, for a goalie and for a person in general is is journaling, just kind of um, just kind of keeping a daily account of how your day went. Did you have a good practice? Did you have a great practice? Did you have a bad practice? Why talking about what made it? a good practice, what made a bad practice, and then kind of being able to see the similarities in why it was a good practice, why it was a bad practice, and then being able to change maybe some habits that you have or increase kind of the habits that you have that are impacting it positively or negatively. I think that's a, a really good, a really good kind of habit for goalies and just for athletes to get, get involved with. I think a lot of the times I'm still, I'm still working on it very much. I'm still very preliminarily in it, but I think so many times throughout my career, it was kind of like a mystery to why did I have a good game? Why did I have a bad game? And, a lot of kind of like feeling intuition where I feel you as a professional athlete, you want to kind of set up a system for yourself to succeed. So kind of highlighting things that have worked for you in the past and kind of sticking to that system. Yeah, for sure. Have you had any major like physical injuries? No, I've been, uh, been pretty healthy, knock on wood. Um, been pretty healthy my whole career so nothing nothing too bad i tweaked my groin a bit this year and two years ago but that was uh that's kind of been the only thing that's really kept me out of uh kept me out of a game so hips like a latino dancer yeah <laughs> yeah you got to do all your do all your hip work before before and post ice pre-ice post ice get all your get all your hips and groin stuff man that's hips groins and knees keep those keep those in good shape as a goalie What would you say would be the biggest downside of being a goalie? 
The biggest downside of being a goalie. I think for myself, uh, sometimes it gets a bit, uh, sometimes it gets a bit lonely in there for sure. I think you got to be able to, you got to be able to manage that. It's obviously, you obviously play on a team and it is a team sport, but it's a uh, very much so an individual position, um, especially in the the dynamics of the team. Like a lot of times, a lot of times, you know, when you're, you know, let's say you're not feeling a workout, like you see kind of everyone going hard and everyone, you know, you're chatting, you're still able to lift for the team and that kind of gets you going, kind of that social aspect. Um, some Being a goalie, sometimes you kind of miss out on maybe that social aspect or that kind of social boost, that social motivation. You know, it's it can be kind of lonely in that crease. And I think just being able to manage your emotions and kind of manage how you deal with setbacks and how you deal with, you know, victories, not getting too high, not getting too low. I, I would say that's the, uh, that's kind of the most difficult disadvantage of being a goalie. It's, it, it can be, it can be lonely. It can be difficult. You know, there's only an, one other guy on the team that knows what you're going through. And oftentimes, you know, they might be in a, oftentimes they're in a different position than you, you know, maybe it's a starter kind of backup role. You're fighting for, you're fighting for time. Sometimes you're splitting and you kind of have a good goalie goalie communication and kind of um, encouragement of one another. But I think, yeah, the biggest thing is just kind of the the loneliness, I'd say, and being able to deal with certain um, kind of issues, issues, if you will, on your own. And being labeled as a total weirdo. Yeah, that's I should have started with that. That's number one. <laughs> break Break the stigma. Did you have any idols growing up and do you base your play style to some other goalie you watched previously? Yeah, I think the biggest idol growing up from a hockey standpoint would be Roberto Luongo. Kind of still being a, being a Canucks fan growing up and just seeing uh, how well he played as well as um, how great of a teammate and kind of um, great spokesman and kind of leader for the Vancouver Canucks he was. Um, yeah, I would say Roberto Luongo. As far as uh, basing my game off someone, I've been asked this a couple times, and I, I don't, I don't have a good answer for anyone. Every, every time, I, I can't really say I've ever based my game off of someone. Um, kind of just try and do me and watch some. Uh, you know, you watch some goalies in the NHL every now and then. You, you kind of see some cool things. You see some cool attributes, and maybe you, you kind of try and. Uh, Pick a couple things from them as well, but I, I can't really say I've ever based my game off one goalie. How about your off-season training? Do you do more on-ice workouts or more off-ice as a goalie and also as a North American player? Yeah, so definitely more off-ice stuff. I mean, the past two years have been a bit abnormal just because of COVID, where like in Canada, like rinks weren't even open for for so long um so that's been kind of tough to just to juggle juggle like ice availability um this past summer i was in minnesota skating uh so a lot of good a lot of good um ice availabilities great coaches down there great players so a lot of there's tons of ice there which is really nice um enjoyed that but probably about two three times a week on the ice and then try and get in the gym almost almost every day i think me you know maybe a day off on a sunday or day off saturday sunday but yeah usually usually try and work out train each day and then i like to you know maybe play a sport or two like if there's basketball or tennis do something kind of 
athletic in that sense. I think that's been more of an emphasis on my summer training, if you will, these past couple of years. I think it's, uh, I think getting stronger and developing is important for every athlete. Um, but I, I also think trying to grow your general athleticism is as important, if not more important. I think I played sports. I played a lot of sports up until, you know, kind of my last years of high school, but I wish I had continued playing it like competitively all the way through college, just because I feel that, you know, like multi-sport athletes, you're just, your level of athleticism and your kind of overall like athletic ceiling is so much higher than someone who just plays one sport his entire life. Just, it's, I think it's represented in like, you know, your hand-eye coordination, your movement patterns, just how you can kind of process and deal with information as well as kind of just building up your overall like athlete mindset your resiliency your competitiveness learning a different sport and playing in a different position you know it gives you new perspective on your sport as well yeah for sure do you have any goalie pet peeves or pre-game routines that you know of, of course pre-game routines oh i gotta i mean I, I'm pretty routine. I'm pretty routine based person. Try and do, you know, try and do every day, almost, almost the same. Um, but for, for the game day, you know, just kind of have my, my personal warm up routine, just try and stick to that. You know, sometimes I'll make a couple changes to it, but that's, that stayed pretty, pretty similar. A lot of, a uh, lot of stretching, kind of dynamic warm up, trying to get my heart rate to a certain level, kind of get ready to compete. A uh, bit of juggling, bit of throwing the ball with my, my glove, just trying to, uh, some, some eye exercises to try and warm the eyes up. I think that's, uh, that's really important as well. Um, but nothing, nothing too out of the ordinary for that. I'd just say kind of regular regular goalie stuff with that um as far as pet peeves shooting pucks in the net while you're in the net while while you're digging pucks out or while you're turned away and someone fires a puck in the net that's no goalie likes that that's a terrible uh you just don't do that enough to piss any goalie off yeah we skaters know that but we still do that <laughs> what are your expectations for the future aim to return to north america or settle even more to european continent yeah um kind of we'll see where we'll see where it takes me um i think i expect myself to continue to play well continue to perform i want to keep keep playing hockey um i think it just kind of comes down to the the, the contract opportunities where where they kind of lay this year next year i would definitely go back to north america if something was was right but uh, i'm also really enjoying europe as well um i like i like playing in finland Um, a goal of mine would be to try and get to maybe one, one higher goal of mine would be get to one higher league, if you will, maybe Sweden, maybe Swiss, that would be awesome. Not to say that league isn't a great league, but just, you know, you always want to push as far as you can. I've heard, you know, I've heard those are incredible leagues, obviously the NHL. Um, but as you know, it's tough, it's tough being in a older goalie with no previous NHL experience but I think um, I think to be able to just make this your your career and make a living off it and enjoy it is a huge accomplishment in itself at this point of the podcast do you have any names in mind that you would like to point out as the ones who have been the most impactful on your career of course probably the family comes first but any other names that would you would like to point out yeah i think uh to reiterate what you said i would say you know my parents my family has just been kind of the number one number one support system my entire life just super uh super grateful for all the help and all the support they've done for me my entire life they've just been uh you know not just my parents 
parents, my brothers too, they've just been a plus, uh, super, super helpful and always, um, always supported me and never really, never really pushed me, never forced me to do things I didn't want to do. This has always been my, uh, my dream and something that I've enjoyed doing. I've never had to like run because I've had a bad practice or a bad game or I've never been punished for something like hockey related. So I, I think just them wholeheartedly giving me this opportunity and supporting me, you know, throughout it and just being very, uh, yeah, very, very, I have said supportive a hundred times, but supportive, just letting me do my thing and, you know, seeing where the chips fall. So big tire pump for the family like Coop. Yeah. Yeah. Lastly, moving out of hockey, any other sports you follow? closely or are a big fan of um i don't really follow tennis too much but i like to play tennis a lot in the summer i would say that um being i'm not a huge european football guy i like to follow the nfl but just living in europe it's been pretty tough to watch a lot of those games so i haven't really um i haven't really been following any other sports maybe i'll Maybe I'll give the Premier League or some other form of uh, European football a serious shot uh, in the next next couple of weeks or next year. Started started join up jumping on a bandwagon with some team. Yeah, Champions League is heating up, so get on. To yeah. It. All right. Then we head to last two sections of this podcast. The first one being the snapshots. So we will have twelve yes or no kind of questions where you have to quickly choose one answer and you're on the clock so is that all clear perfect yep first one hardest shot you have faced name please i think zach tolkien playing in the main mariners he's got an absolute cannon all right pre-game pump-up song pre-game pump-up song break lincoln park Mm -hmm. that's a good one any guilty pleasure tv series or songs untouched by the veronica's Well, we'll call that poutine or clam chowder. Poutine. As a Canadian, you had to answer that. <laughs> Your hidden talent. Hidden talent. I would say a uh, bit of a circus, bit of a circus animal. I can do a backflip. I can juggle uh, various acrobatic stuff. Biggest character from your career in or outside of the rank. Biggest character? Yeah. Like, uh, Like personal kind of figure, yeah. I'll probably just say my my dad. Honestly, that's a good answer. LeBron or Jordan? LeBron. Lap shot to your palm or wrister to your head? Wrister to my head. Favorite Disney movie? Frozen. That should have been your guilty pleasure. Um, best goalie and player you've played against? Eichel. Goalie would be either Demko or Ottinger. Allow five goals and get pulled or surrender only twice and lose by one goal. Surrender only twice and lose by one goal. And last one, celebrity crush. Celebrity crush. Ooh, Miley Cyrus. We will go that one. And, <laughs> and the last one will be the trifecta. So the situation is you need to think about three of your former or current teammates. There are Three different scenarios and one person per scenario, plus brief explanations on your choice. You ready? Yeah. yeah. The first scenario is backpacking in Russian wilderness, so aka kind of survival scenery. The second one would be road trip 
across the states from east to west by car. And the last one would be your travel guide in Bangkok. <laughs> so I, I say one I say one player. Yeah, one player. Okay. And and brief explanations, please, as well. So the which which is the first one? The backpacking in Russian wilderness. Okay, backpacking in Russian wilderness. I would take my new teammate, uh, Nikita <laughs> Pivsakin, uh, because he's Russian. I'm hoping he can navigate some of those terrains. Mm-hmm. Um, probably go kill a bear, cook it for us, keep us keep us nice and well fed. Probably start a fire. Just, I think he'd be able to do it all. You know, I yeah. put my faith in him. This came pretty easy for you after that signing. How about the road trip? The road trip. Uh, I think I'd take my buddy Brad McClure. Mm-hmm. Uh, great, great teammate, great friend. Uh, played with him in Minnesota, Mankato. He's currently uh, playing in Germany. Just an overall uh, really solid guy. Shout out to him. And the last one, your travel guide in Bangkok. My travel guide in Bangkok. Um, who would I take? Brandon Hickey. Quite Why? Because because he'd be more lost than I would, and it would be a fun <laughs> trip. Sounds like a good time. I mean, that wraps up pretty much the episode. I thank you so much for joining me. Any last words you want to say before we end the end the interview? Perfect. Yeah, yeah I really appreciate you having me on. It was uh, it was my pleasure. It was a good time to sit down and just chat, man. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining. Kudos. And so we have begun the journey on the hockey front as well. And you can expect to see a few more voices from the ice in the next coming months. I don't have much else to add at this point. All I want to say is thank you to Connor for participating. It was really great to hear about his background and ask about the mental mindset of a goalie. And hopefully it was entertaining for you guys as well. That pretty much wraps up the episode. Hope you enjoyed the second guest episode and you can anticipate to see more of these in the near future, as I said. Thank you so much for listening, my friend. Remember to leave a rating for this podcast on Spotify and don't forget to press that follow button so that you don't miss any upcoming guest episodes. That's all for this week. As always... Remember, stay tuned, stay safe. Until next time. All right.